Well, good morning. We are continuing our series today called Built to Last. My name's Nate. If we don't know each other, I would love to meet you. I'll be in the lobby after the service. Um, but we're doing this series called Built to Last, uh, where for seven weeks, we're drilling down on the core habits and the core values that we need to embrace if we're gonna be a church that's built to last. This fall, we're celebrating our 75th anniversary as a church, which is incredible, and God's grace has been awesome. Uh, But we wanna be built for another 75. And so we're talking about what are the core habits, values that we need to focus on if that's gonna be the case. And so there are four core habits that we talked about last week, and I want to uh, refresh us on those. So anybody remember what those are? Gather, commit, serve, and retreat. Gather, commit, serve, and retreat. Why must we gather? Because we believe in Bible teaching and we believe in worship. Why must we commit? Because we believe in community. Why must we serve? Because we believe in next generation ministry. We believe in local kindness. We believe in global missions. And why must we retreat? because we believe in prayer. And so today, we're talking about worship. We gather for worship. Many times, when we use the word worship, we're typically just talking about music, right? So the worship leader is the person who does the music, right? Or if you're driving home and you're like, how was the worship today? You're generally talking about the music. Or if somebody, if you visit a church and you're like, well, what was the worship like? You're asking about the music. Um, if we have a worship night as a church, that's a night where there's going to be mostly music, maybe some prayer, but definitely not a sermon, right? And so people show up in droves for the worship nights, right? And I've been around worship stuff basically my whole life. When I was a kid, we went to this large church and my parents were on what was called the worship committee. Um, And they were tasked from my lead pastor uh, to go visit other churches and determine what it might be like to bring a contemporary worship service to our church. Wow. And so we did that. And then when I was in middle school, I started playing in worship bands. When I was in high school, I was leading a bunch of worship bands in college all the way through. I played lots of camps and retreats and conferences. I've been very involved in worship for a long, long time. And here's what I've learned about worship is that everybody has an opinion about worship. That's what I've learned. There are a lot of opinions about worship. There's opinions about the style of worship. And so... The old school debate was over traditional worship versus contemporary worship. And then there was blended worship, which made both groups mad. Uh, And so there there was that. And now there's spirit-filled worship. Are we going to leave room for the Holy Spirit to move? There's also seeker-friendly worship, where we don't want to get too weird with the music Just keep it short because people are gonna come in and they don't know what we're doing here. There's the upbeat, clap your hands style worship. And there's the serious and reflective style worship. There's the excellence and production and performance style worship. And then there's the authentic and intimate style of worship. 
So there's all kinds of opinions about the style and there's also all kinds of opinions about the songs that we sing. In fact, um, I've had people tell me that we sing too many new songs. And I've had people tell me that we don't sing enough new songs. I've had people come up to me and say, I love that we're doing more hymns and not just old people. And I've had people ask, why are we doing so many hymns? There's a lot of opinions about worship. And I actually think that's a good thing. We should care about worship. And I'm glad. And the number one question that I've gotten since I've been the interim lead pastor here is, what's your vision for worship? Tell me about your vision for worship. And so today, the message, my goal is to answer that question. What's the vision for worship? And here's the vision. Is I want us to have the most biblical worship possible and I'm not as concerned about the style. Is this, does the style matter? Yeah, sure. The transition between the first song and second song, I don't know if you guys caught that, but that was super cool. And as a musician, I was like, dang, that was awesome. That matters so much less than if our worship is biblical. And that's what I wanna talk about today. This is, there's not a text that we'll be in today. Instead, we'll be looking at a lot of different texts but I wanna try to answer three questions for us today. What is worship? Why do we gather for worship? And how should we gather for worship? What is worship? Why do we gather for worship? And how should we gather for worship? So first, what is worship? Worship is giving God the glory due his name. It's giving God the glory that is due his name. I get that from Psalm 29, verse two. The psalmist writes, ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. In the Bible, there are two primary ways that we are to worship, that we are to give God the glory due his name. The first is gathered worship. The second is worship in all of life. Gathered worship is where we assemble under God's word to give him the glory to his name. Worship in all of life is where we live in all the areas of our lives in a way that serves the Lord and gives him the glory to his name. So there's gathered worship, what we're doing here, and there's worship in all of life. Ligon Duncan, who's a pastor and theologian, summarizes it this way. He says, worship is declaring with our lips and our lives that God is more important than anything else to us. That's what worship is. It's declaring with our lips in gathered worship and with our lives in all of life worship that God is more important than anything else to us. That's what worship is. Today, we're talking about gathered worship. So, why do we gather for worship? Why do we come to church on Sundays? Why? We gather because we are a gathering. And that's not a trick kind of wordplay thing. 
Why do we gather? Because that's who we are. We are a gathering. Who the church is determines what the church does. The church is something before it does something. And who is the church? The church is a gathering, an assembly. That's what the word means. In the New Testament, the word translated church throughout our New Testaments literally just means an assembly, a gathering. So when God saves us, he doesn't just save a bunch of individuals so that they can go to heaven someday to be with him forever. When God saves us, he takes individuals and he makes them part of his people, his gathering, so that he can be with us forever someday. That's what the church is. It's a gathering. And this is the whole story of the Bible. The story of the Bible is the story of God gathering a people for himself to worship him. That's the story of the Bible. Think about Noah for just a minute. The whole world is evil. God decides to judge the world, but what does he do? He saves a people who will worship him. He comes to Abraham and he says, Abraham, I'm going going to, to make you into a people. And this people is also going to bless all the peoples of the earth so that all the peoples of the earth can worship me. When God comes to save his people, Abraham's family, out of Egypt, they were in slavery. When God comes to rescue them. He sends his prophet Moses. And Moses goes to Pharaoh and hears his message. He says, let my people go. Why? So they can go into the wilderness and worship me. This is God's action, his activity throughout all of the scripture. It's his mission to gather people to worship him, to rescue a people out of sin and death to be able to worship him. This is why the prophets foretell of a day when all the peoples of the earth will be gathered and come to Mount Zion to worship. This is why Jesus says, I will build my church. What is he saying? I will build my gathering I'm going to build a group of people who proclaim my name and worship the Lord. That's who the church is. So God is the one who's gathering us. Listen to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. This summarizes this super well. But you, speaking to churches, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his possession so that, here's why, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. That's who the church is. We are a gathering of people who have been rescued by God And the way that we are rescued, the way that we come out of darkness is by coming to God's son, Jesus. 
The banner that God is waving to rally people to himself. The, the flag that God is flying that brings this gathering about is his son, Jesus, lifted up on the cross, who died in the place of sinners like you and sinners like me, who was raised from the dead. And so for, for anyone who will repent of their sin, that is to say, you know what? Sin is actually stupid. It doesn't make my life better. Sin is actually a rebellion against God. It's not actually for my own flourishing. For anyone who will repent, who will change their mind about their sin, and who will trust in Jesus, they are gathered into this group so that they can proclaim his praises The church is a gathering. Why do we gather? Because that's who we are and what we do flows out of who we are. So the local church is more than a gathering, but it is never less. Even in the New Testament, the local church gathered for worship on Sundays. Think about that. For 2,000 years, Christians have been getting together on Sundays to worship. In the New Testament, the local church gathered regularly. We see that in 1 Corinthians 11, 18, and 1 Corinthians 14, verse 23. The gathering was a distinct event that needed to be attended. We see that in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 19, and verse 28. They can actually say, in church, here's what you're supposed to do in 1 Corinthians 14. And even large churches, churches of thousands of people, gathered everyone together at once. Acts chapter five, verse 12. The church is a gathering, and gathered worship is the primary purpose of a church. It's who we are. We are more than that, but we're never less than that. This means that a small group is awesome, I hope you're part of one. But it is not a replacement for gathered worship. Serving the community is awesome. It is not a replacement for gathered worship. Listening to worship music, reading your Bible, going on a hike is awesome. It's not a replacement for gathered worship. The church is a gathering. We gather to worship. Gathered worship is our primary purpose. That's why we gather. So, Question number three, how should we gather for worship? How should we gather for worship? And this is what most people wanna talk about. Most people wanna know what style we're gonna be, what songs we're gonna sing, but there are much weightier things to consider than worship style. Listen to Hebrews chapter 12, verses 28 and 29. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. For our God is a consuming fire. The writer of Hebrews is saying that the way that we worship matters. 
He says first that we need to worship with gratitude. We offer thankful worship. And the fact that we're supposed to worship with gratitude assumes that there's something to be grateful for. What is there to be grateful for? Why is the Sunday gathering grateful worship? He tells us that we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Here's what he's saying. Uh, my daughter is 11 months old. She'll be one years old in just a couple weeks. And she's a super messy eater. And I don't think it's her fault. I think it's just her age. Um, and she gets stuff all over her. And whenever I pick her up after she's done eating, I will get her out of her seat. And then I always do the same thing. I just shake her <laughs> to get all the crumbs to fall off. And she loves it. It's like her favorite thing. She just laughs. And most of the stuff falls off of her. Some things stick. A day is coming when the world will be shaken and almost everything will fall. But there's something that sticks. And this kingdom that we are receiving from God is a kingdom that does not fall. It sticks. We have eternal life in Jesus because of what he accomplished in his death on the cross for sinners and in his resurrection. We are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. We have eternal life. And that gives us a reason for thanksgiving. That gives us a reason for gratitude. And so when we enter, we enter remembering what God has done for us in his son, Jesus. This is why there's a phrase that's popular right now, gospel-centered worship. That just means that, that our worship is is remembering what God has done for us in his son, Jesus. God is the one who initiates worship. His mercy and his grace precede our worship. If it was not for our great high priest, Jesus, we would not be able to enter into worship because our God is a consuming fire. His holiness and his glory would literally kill us. And yet because of his son, Jesus, who has come, our great high priest, who has made a sacrifice once for all time with his own blood, we can enter his presence and worship. And this should make us grateful. This is why in every, every service, one of the songs that we sing intentionally and explicitly mentions the cross. Because we worship only because of what Jesus has accomplished for us. Otherwise, we, we're not in, we can't come in. But we enter based on his blood. Our sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, oh my soul. So we worship with gratitude. We also worship 
we offer acceptable worship with reverence and awe. What is acceptable worship? Acceptable to who? To me? Was Nate pleased with the worship today? Is that the question? Were you pleased with the worship today? Is that the question? Our worship should be acceptable to the one we worship. God is the one who determines what acceptable worship is. We tend to think we can do basically whatever we want as long as we're authentic or sincere in our intentions. The truth is that God cares how he's worshiped. And so acceptable worship is offering worship to God that is according to his word. We wanna worship the way that he tells us he wants to be worshiped. So what does word-centered worship look like? Word-centered worship, what does that look like? I've made up a kind of a cheesy acronym uh, to help us think about this. I've been using this for the last couple months. Um, Here is what word-centered worship looks like, I think. B-I-B-L-E. Word-centered worship is beautiful. It's beautiful. It engages not just minds, but also hearts. It stirs our hearts. Here's where I get that. First Timothy chapter three, verse 15, Paul's writing to Timothy and he says, I've written to you so that you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, which is the church of the living God. Listen to this. The pillar and foundation of the truth. Paul says that the church is a pillar and a foundation of the truth. A foundation supports something. So as as a church, we are responsible for upholding truth, for making sure that truth does not collapse on our watch. We do not want to be guilty of false teaching or letting truth collapse. So we're a foundation of truth. We make sure truth is upheld and held high. But he says we're also a pillar of truth. And he's writing to a man who lived in a city called Ephesus where there was a massive temple to a false god named Artemis. And this temple had these beautiful Greek pillars. And pillars were not just a structural thing. They weren't just functional to make sure that the building stayed up, but they were beautiful. They were intended to make the building something that didn't just work, but something that was beautiful to look at. And Paul says that's what the church is. The church is not just something that upholds truth, but we do it in a way that's beautiful, in a way that's compelling, in a way that speaks not just to minds, but to hearts in a way that stirs people's affections. And this is why I think that there's a place for art and creativity in the church. Because we're a pillar and foundation of the truth. So word-centered worship is beautiful. It's also instructive. 
It teaches people about who God is and what he's done and what he requires. And every aspect of the service teaches. The songs teach. This is why it matters more what the, what the words say than how the melody goes. The prayers that we pray teach something. The sermons that we teach should teach something. Everything we do should be instructive to help you know who God is or what God requires of you. And things should be explained along the way for this reason. So word-centered worship is beautiful, instructive, beneficial. That means it encourages people and builds them up in the faith. You should be able to do worship in all of life kind of worship as a result of being in the gathered worship. We should help you with that so that you can worship God on Sunday afternoon, not just Sunday morning. It should be beneficial. It should also be liturgical. Now, let me say what I don't mean by that, okay? By liturgical, I don't mean we gotta be Roman Catholic or high church or something like that. The word liturgy just means the order, the elements that are used in worship. And we should be intentional about what elements are used. The elements should be determined by the Bible. The reformers have summarized uh, what should be done in a worship gathering with these five things. We read the word, preach the word, pray the word, sing the word, and see the word. We read the word out loud. That's why we've got a scripture reading moment in the service. Today we read from Nehemiah chapter eight where they had a four hour worship service where all they did was read God's word out loud. And people stood up the whole time and they lifted their hands and they said, amen, amen. And then they fell to the ground and worshiped. God's word is powerful, so we read it. We're commanded to do so, 1 Timothy 4. We also preach the word. Why do we preach the word? Because God's word gives life. We preach the word. We're commanded to do that, 2 Timothy 4. We pray the word. Jesus said, God's house is a house of prayer. 1 Timothy 2 says, we should pray for all peoples, for kings and all those in authority. We should offer prayers of praise and prayers of repentance and prayers of lament and prayers of petition where we ask God for things. We sing the word. And that doesn't just mean we, we only sing, you know, scripture, even though that would be a great thing to do. But it means that we sing words that are anchored in the truth of scripture. Listen to Colossians 3.16. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Singing is one of the ways that God's word begins to dwell with us. Do we wanna be a word-centered church? Do we wanna be a church centered on the Bible? We've gotta sing. Real theology always sings. It's not something that's just contemplated up here and debated in classrooms or in books. It sings. Ephesians 5.19, we don't just sing to God 
Ephesians 5.19 says, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That's how we're supposed to speak to one another. So we're not just singing to God, even though, yes, absolutely, that's what we're doing, but we're also singing to one another as a way of encouraging us, maybe calming us. So, read the word, preach the word, pray the word, sing the word, and see the word. That means we do baptism and Lord's Supper in our worship because those are ways of helping see the truth of the gospel. So that's what I mean by liturgical. Is the elements that we use in worship are rooted in the Bible. And then finally, word-centered worship is beautiful, instructive, beneficial, liturgical, and evangelistic. That means that we do things in a way that is accessible to outsiders so that they can come to worship through faith in Jesus. We should expect non-Christians to join us and we should be inviting them. In fact, if you're here today and you're not a Christian, we are glad that you're here. You're welcome here. We hope that what you experience here helps you just ask, maybe there is something to this man named Jesus. We hope that the words that we use are not just, you know, so Christian that you can't even understand what we're talking about. We hope that things are accessible. We hope that the gospel is clear, that the way that sinners like us can be made right with a God who is a consuming fire is only through Jesus and what he's accomplished in his death and resurrection. We want to be evangelistic. That doesn't mean that in every service we do an invitation or an altar call. In fact, you could argue that those things actually undermine the gospel because the way that we are instructed in the Bible to respond to the news about Jesus is not by walking forward in a church service, it's by repenting of our sins and believing in Jesus. And we can't really measure if that happens on the spot in the worship gathering. That'll be something that's determined over time. So the invitation that we do offer is to repent of your sins to change how you're thinking about how you're living and trust in Jesus. So, what does all of this mean for you? First, your attendance matters. Your attendance matters. Now, this ordinarily would be a very uncontroversial thing to have to say. But in COVID, it is more complicated. And so if you're watching online and the reason is because you are taking serious precautions to prevent the spread of COVID either for yourself or for people that you love, totally understandable. But if you're watching from home because it's just more convenient and you've, you've gotten to where you like listening on your couch 
and you can do stuff around the house while the service is on, and it just makes your day more flexible. Then you need to heed the message of Hebrews chapter 10, which says, and let us consider one another in order to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other and all the more as you see the day approaching. Your attendance matters. It's not just, it doesn't just matter for you and your soul, but it matters for the other people who are here. We're a church. Next week, we're gonna talk about how we've gotta commit to this community. Coming to church is not just for you to get filled up. So the way that we evaluate is, did you like the, you know, how everything was done? Or, and this is to myself. The goal is for us to promote love and good works. And so we need you. Your attendance is not even just for your soul, even though I think that is also necessary, but it's for others that we need you. Your attendance matters. Your attitude when you attend matters. What's your posture when you come in to worship? Have you prepared your heart? Have you prayed? Is there gratitude in your heart? Are you entering with reverence and awe? Are you putting others ahead of yourself? Your attitude in worship matters. Your attendance matters, your attitude matters, and finally, your actions matter. Your actions matter. Singing is something we participate in. What's unique about Christian gathered worship is that this is not really the band. You're the band. We sing. When we're compelled to do so, we raise our hands. Why do we raise our hands? Because you raise your hands when you've won. And we've won in Christ. You raise your hands when you surrender. And we surrender our lives to God. We raise our hands because even in court today, you raise your hand because you believe what you're about to say. You're testifying that what I'm about to say is true. So we raise our hands in worship because we're saying, what we're singing, I believe it. I believe it's true. We open our Bibles, we read, we lean in, and we pray while we're here. And somebody, when, when Barry comes up and prays, it's not just somebody doing something, it's something that you, you are invited to participate in. So pray for yourself. Pray for your fellow church members that are sitting around you. Pray for non-Christians who might be in the room on a Sunday. Pray for the preacher. Pray for the singers. Your actions matter. Let's be a church that is anchored to God's word in our worship. And that is so grateful for the gospel that Worship just has to come out. Today, we're going to see the word by taking the Lord's Supper together.
The Lord's Supper is a picture of this word, the word about Jesus that saves. So if you would begin to open that. If you were at our Good Friday service, I'm sorry that uh, it's not as filling of a meal for you. If you don't have one of these, there's some in the back that you can grab. But this piece of bread, this is a symbol, a picture of Jesus and his body. A body that went to the cross. This cup is a picture of his blood. The blood that was shed on the cross so that sinners like you and me can enter into the presence of our God who is a consuming fire. When we eat this and drink this, we are proclaiming that Jesus has died so that we can be saved. To bring this bread to our mouth and to bring the cup to our mouth is a way of reminding your soul that it's only by coming to Jesus that you can live. The Apostle Paul writes, for I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And then listen to what he says. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. What we've just done is see the word. So now would you stand with us as we sing the word? <laughs>